Welcome to the Evening Jump. I'm trying to think if I had anything interesting happen to me since the last time I spoke to you, like things that happened to me. I like to kind of try to, you know, give you guys little things that, you know, have gone on in my life, you know, show you that I'm a real person, right? I've come to understand that as time goes on, some of y'all don't believe I'm a real person. Also, if you're watching this in the video, I absolutely did adjust where I was sitting so that you could holler at Emmy right fast. If you're new here, say hello to Emmy. Now, anytime I do Mike and Mike or like Sports Center, one of those, I do it out of this room. And people frequently remark about like all the shoes behind me. And I'm like, do you not notice me stunting this Emmy? Like, yeah, this is a body is doing this from his closet. The Emmy isn't in the closet. If Emmy would have been in the closet, she'd have been in the box. The box, by the way, which came with a little rag that you use to keep Emmy shiny. They think of everything, right? Like, I think that's probably the most appropriate uh, way to put it. They think of everything. Also, hope you guys enjoyed your Easter. Um, I grew up in a non-religious home. I don't want to tell you the age I was when I realized what this Easter thing was all about. I honestly couldn't figure out what that bunny had anything to do with church, right? Like Christmas, I was always able to understand Right. It's Jesus' birthday and the celebration you get a treat. Right. Like I could link those things together. But Easter, they, no one really like walked me all the way through what the Easter thing was. And I was never curious enough to ask because we didn't go to church. So like it, it really, really, really wasn't um, a thing. I think I was like 15. 15 when I found out about this whole resurrection thing. I had no idea. I had no idea uh, just how important the Easter thing was to everybody. Like, it is a fascinating study in how you can just not know something if you never get around to asking the question. It just never came up. It just never did. Then I got older and realized that uh, part of the significance of Easter was you guys wear ridiculous get-ups. Yes. In fact, I remember uh, when I was growing up, the Barbies always asked if I was getting an Easter suit. And I just didn't know what an Easter suit was. Like, I had no idea. Like, this didn't make it. Like, I honestly thought that the man was asking me if I was going to get a bunny suit. And I didn't know, like, if this was just a thing that, like, certain people made their kids, like, dress up in bunny suits. Like, it was a Christmas story. Even it was Easter. But, I, I mean, I honestly thought it was always like, are you going to get an Easter suit? I thought that they meant, like, a bunny suit. Because the only thing that I knew about Easter was the bunny. That was it. And you never really wind up in a situation um, where you have so many people that you can speak to to ask, like, hey, what's Easter? I mean, they just assume everybody knows, right? It's like, hey, hey, hey. So, you know, just curious. You know, I know we've got, you know, all these things going on for Easter, but what exactly is it? Now, prior, prior to finding out what Easter was, though, I was made aware of what Good Friday was. And it was explained to me that Good Friday was the day Jesus died. And I'm sure you could imagine my confusion. And so I do believe once or twice I may have asked somebody, um, 
what made this Friday so good. And now I feel like I have a decent understanding of it. Um, but, you know, if you're like nine, 10 years old, like there's no way you're going to explain to me that Jesus is such a big deal, but there's something good about him dying. Right? Like we, uh, the day Martin Luther King died, right? We don't call that the good 4th of April. Uh, it's just, that's just not something we do. So, you know, for me at that point, a lot of this was just like really inconceivable. I, I just, I just could not get it. And I bring that up because that further dissuaded me um, from asking what Easter was. It didn't, it didn't really make me want to find out more. Like it just got me to a point where I was like, okay, I feel like if I don't understand this, I'm probably not going to get the rest. Though over time, I have, in fact, come to understand. And this is your friendly reminder, by the way. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't really have a great reason why it came to my mind the other day, but I was thinking about this the other day. We got our first black president in the United States in the year 2008, when I believe the first presidential election took place in 1788, right? So 220 years is how long it took to get a black president. How much longer will it be before you get a president who is not a Christian? So like, like stop and think about like, what that means for a second, because we thought the black president was impossible and the non-Christian president is actually impossibler. And even before there was a black president, I think you would have said the non-Christian president was impossibler because at least you might have some level of optimism about the black president that maybe just maybe this sort of thing could happen, right? Maybe just maybe. Ain't none of that for the non-Christian president. Not at all. Now, I see people in the chat room saying, are we saying that Trump's a Christian? Trump's as Christian as you need to be to win this, right? Hey, we ain't talking about devout Christians, but you got to at least be like, yeah, I've been to church a couple times. And not like me going to church a couple times where all of that had to do with some woman I was sinning with, at least sinning according to that logic, right? You know, Trump Trump can tell some stories about growing up, going to church and stuff like that, whatever. But at the very, but he knows he's got to do that. Like Trump is not ever like Trump would not be the president right now if Trump had gotten in front of some microphone and been like, gotta be honest with you. I have a hard time buying this. Nope. Nope, no, 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 nope. He would not be the president of the United States. Not happening. I say all that to say that. Understanding all of these factors hopefully will illuminate you on why it was that I wasn't so inclined to ask anybody what Easter was. I also might be lying because I may not have known it had any church significance after I was told what it was, until I was told what it was. Keeping in mind that I thought people got Easter suits to dress their children up like bunnies. Can't say I don't tell you the truth, ladies and gentlemen. You can't say I don't tell you the truth.
Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Should we even check out that Prince EP that's dropping on Friday? Okay, so I've heard about uh, this Prince EP that is coming out on Friday. Um, And apparently it's gotten by some like ill circumstances. So some engineer has some tapes and uh, you can go look that up. I don't really care about that in terms of answering the question as to whether or not you should listen to it. If you want to listen to it, that's fine. Like, you know, there is certainly an argument to be made that this is not something that Prince would want. But I got to be honest with you, uh, whether or not Prince would want something is not the standard that I use uh, as I decide whether or not I am going to do something. Right. Like when Prince died and all of a sudden it turned into the Wild Wild West and they were putting Prince songs on um, whatchamacallit uh, on YouTube. I know Prince didn't want them songs on YouTube. But I wanted people to hear, I wish you heaven. So you know what I was doing? I was sending people, I wish you heaven. Because I wanted to send it, not because of what Prince wanted. Prince didn't want Radiohead to have Creep up on YouTube from Coachella. Prince didn't have the legal standard for that, however. So Radiohead threw it on there anyway. And they did that before he died, if I'm not mistaken. Right? I'm not using the standard here for whether or not I want this based upon what would Prince do or whatever it is. That's just not me. I'm just not in a rush to go listen to the stuff because it's not going to go anywhere. Like maybe one day I will get around to it, but I'm not in a rush. And you want to know a big part of why I'm not in a rush? Because keep in mind, I'm a big Prince fan. But I am not a fool about this. Prince put out a level of volume that makes it impossible for it all to be heat, right? If you're going to be honest, Prince then gave us some bullshit. You know, sometimes perhaps just to satisfy um, a contract or something like that. But it's been a long time since Prince was, like, guaranteed. You always had to check it out and see what exactly it was we were getting really after about like 1988 or 89. And look, you still got some heat. You just couldn't bet on the heat. You just couldn't, right? So if Prince himself could give us bullshit, how can I trust somebody who's not Prince, but has a hold of stuff that Prince did not want us to hear, keeping in mind that some of the stuff that Prince did want us to hear was some bullshit. Hadn't quite thought of it like that, had you? Like, like, think about this for a second. Whether Prince is alive or dead, right? The music is what it is. So if Prince was still alive and somebody told you that some tapes were coming out that some engineer had jacked, like, would you be excited about hearing them? Of course not. You would not be excited about hearing them. Well, he's dead. There's no, that, that's the only thing that's different here is that Prince is dead. So... Like, what is there to be excited about with this, given that thought? So, look, you go check it out, and if it turns out to be some heat, you know, let your boy know. I might listen to it. But there 
is so much press material that he actually wanted us to hear that I still have not heard. That, like, I don't really need to go delving into the stuff that got hijacked right away. I mean, really, there's still a lot left. Like, I go through, I got a Prince folder on here with all the MP3 goodness, right? There's so much of it, I haven't even had the time to consider pressing play on. I don't need no new. I don't need no new. Like Brian said, he needs to find the triple out me put out in 96. That's emancipation. And emancipation is pretty good. Now, one thing I will say that I realized after Prince died was going to some of the stuff of the 90s was interesting because it became easier to listen to without like contemporaneously experiencing the um the context of the 90s. So a lot of it with those Prince records that I mean we wasn't really rocking that tough, right? A lot of that was the fact that what he was doing was out of line with the times. Well, now we don't really care about the times. We're out of those times, right? So you could be like, oh, Prince ain't up on what we're doing right now. But going back to it, no matter what 20 years ago, is going to be something that people ain't doing right now. So it doesn't matter that it wasn't what they was doing right then, if that makes sense. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. What is the over under that Bill O'Reilly has a job in the West Wing by Memorial Day? So, yeah, Bill O'Reilly is officially up out of there at Fox News. Um, we talked about that the last time we did a show here. It was just like, it's going to be a matter of, like, does Fox believe that he's worth the trouble? Like, that's all it was going to come down to. Did Fox believe that he was worth the trouble? And monetarily, I haven't seen the exact terms of them letting him go, but I'm imagining they're going to have to give him all of his money. Like, I don't think they have any choice but to give him all of his money. So what are they losing on the advertising side that makes it such that they're willing to cut him a check for whatever's left on his contract? Like, they just decided it was no longer worth it Although it's not even like a no longer worth it. Like, you know, you got to remember, this isn't, these aren't Rupert's decisions. Like, these are his son's decisions. So there's a bit of a sea change in this regard. And I'm wondering exactly how strident O'Reilly's replacement will be. I mean, because it's not as though there's anything that Bill O'Reilly does that's terribly out of line with the larger overall agenda of Fox News. And I don't say agenda as a pejorative. I mean, they just got a way that they do things, and O'Reilly is in line with it. So they'll find somebody else, but I don't feel like getting Bill O'Reilly off the air really changes anything. What Bill O'Reilly was, and I, I asked this the last time as to whether or not there was anything particular about Bill O'Reilly that, like, what does he provide for Fox and somebody else saying the same exact thing can't provide? And I understand that there's a bit of selection bias in all likelihood with who's listening to this show, that the people that could really answer that are probably not listening to the Evening Jones. I mean, I imagine a handful of them are, don't get me wrong, but I'm not foolish enough to believe that that's the person at the median of my listening audience. So I may be asking this question to people who aren't the ones to really try to find you know, to get to the bottom of this. However, nothing like you get O'Reilly out of there and you really don't like that one jerk. But that one jerk isn't an outlier opinion on that network. So they're going to find somebody else that offers the same opinion. Now, maybe it won't be somebody as charismatic. 
perhaps it will not be someone as popular, right? Maybe it won't be someone with as large of an audience. But I don't think O'Reilly's out here converting people, right? Like, it's not like I think that you get Bill O'Reilly. I mean, like, you put Bill O'Reilly on Fox News, and now all of a sudden people who wouldn't agree with him already are suddenly having their minds changed. Like, I've never gotten the impression that Bill O'Reilly seeks to be persuasive. That is one major difference, I would argue, between, say, Fox News and MSNBC. And that is that MSNBC does, in fact, uh, I mean, it's certainly a liberal bent. It's not the same model as Fox News, but it is certainly a liberal bent. But I do feel like underneath it all, there's a lot of like laying down like evidentiary bases for this so that if you think they're wrong, they will show you how actually you are wrong and then come to some explanation with his things here. Well, this is not true. And then we're going to tell you why it is not true. Um, but there is an attempt to change your mind. If you disagree with them, I, I don't think that that's the, the model Fox news is using like Fox news. Isn't converting people. They're speaking to people that they've already gotten. Like, I wonder if there's anybody that's like, you know what? After a while, I just, you know, have been watching Fox News to get my news, and I realized I've just been seeing things the wrong way. I don't think that's how that works. Like, I think they're able to increase their viewer numbers in whatever ways, but, I mean, O'Reilly's not converting people. Like, how harmful you may believe that he is, is he any more or less harmful than the next person that they put in there if that person is saying the same things? And I mention it as such because that next person may not have as big of an audience. But does the size of the audience necessarily matter if the people that aren't watching still already believe the same things? You see what I mean? So like an increase in an audience for somebody like Bill O'Reilly is in all likelihood just a larger congregation of people. Like it speaks to the ability to build community and stuff like that. But I don't think if Bill O'Reilly's audience gets bigger, that that necessarily means that there are all these people that are just like catching the wave. Now, what they had said, though, is that his audience is remarkably loyal and that as the sexual harassment stuff came, his ratings were actually going up. Right. His ratings were going up. So, I mean, there is that. But having a smaller audience watching Fox News at what, 8 o'clock, I think is what time he comes on? Um, having a smaller audience, what does that actually mean? I, I mean, I just think that that is a fair question. That being said, I also feel as though as we talk about Bill O'Reilly um, and I think that you do have to take a moment to commemorate and acknowledge the fact that Bill O'Reilly's show, The O'Reilly Factor, did give us the greatest moment in the history of cable television. And you know what the greatest moment in the history of cable television is. The greatest moment in the history of cable television is when Cameron and Dame Dash 
came on the O'Reilly Factor. There has never been anything better than that moment. Okay, I say cable television, I really mean cable news. Like cable television, I feel like maybe a tad hyperbolic. Cable news, that is a no-brainer. Was anything ever better? Pimpin' and bitches. And this is the thing I always say about that, man. I think that you could teach rhetorical technique using that video. Why? Because Cam and Dame never seeded the terms of the argument. Cam and Dame decided that they were going to talk the way they talk. And they weren't going to get caught up trying to sound like Bill O'Reilly. Never for a moment did Cameron have any plan to do anything other than be the asshole that he has been his entire life. That's all he wanted. He just wanted to be the same asshole that he's always been. Why? Because Cameron can't turn it off. He can't turn it off. And I'm still not sure who decided to put the call in to, of all people, Cameron. Who else is on that list? Like, were Cam and Dame Dash the first call? Now, also, one thing you have to remember, I don't know how many of them there are, but there are black people who work at Fox News. And I know there are black people who work at Fox News because I once went to some bar in New York City when I was there for work, and I met, like, three black people, and they worked at Fox News. And I know what you're thinking, but they gave me their business cards. It said Fox News on them. I'm just letting you know. There are black people that work at Fox News. And you say, oh, the token Negroes. I mean, maybe that's what they are. All I'm telling you is that there are black people who work there. And those like somebody's here talking about, I'm flabbergasted. Jobs are hard to come by, buddy. Right? Jobs are hard to come by, and if you are looking for that corporation with a heart of gold, it does not exist. They, it, they ain't out here. They, they are not, right? Now, you can say some are worse than others. That's fine. I'm just telling you. All these places that you say you're not going to work for, careful saying what you're not going to do. Just letting you know. So anyway... I've always imagined that perhaps the black person in that department, they're like, yo, do you know any rappers? And for all I know, it could be Cam's cousin who works down there at Fox News. It could be somebody who went to high school with Dame Dash. And it's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get Cam and Dame on here. Like, I have a hard time believing that they lucked into such greatness. I have a very difficult time believing that it was just like simply the universe colliding all at once to give us that on cable news. The only way, like, you, like, what's better? What was better? Cam and Dame on the O'Reilly factor or Redman completely flipping up the concept of MTV Cribs? Because I think that Redman on MTV Cribs probably the greatest moment in the history of MTV. Now, you guys are saying Redman easily, and it might be Redman, but I don't know about this easily part. 
I mean, and the Red Man was great. Don't get me wrong. Like, you go watch it. His cousin laid out on the ground and everything else. But Dame and Cam had Bill O'Reilly on his heels on his own television show. And, by the way, shout out to those of you in the chat room who have reminded me that Cameron was on 60 Minutes, and he did say that he would not let the cops know where the serial killer was. So is it safe to say that it's Cameron that has the connections in the news game? Because I don't recall Dame Dash ever getting a call like that again. So 60 Minutes called Cam. And, I mean, 60 Minutes called Cam. Fox called Cam and Dame. I feel like they're just calling Cam. That's right, Cam says, serial killer next door, I'll just move. He did say that. He did say, I'll just move. So, okay. I'm just asking this, like, while we're here on this topic. If you are not trolling, because I don't feel like 60 Minutes got trolled. If you are not trolling, why are you asking Cameron what he thinks about anything? Why are you asking him what he thinks? That's not what he's there for. It's not what he's there for. Why is anybody asking Cameron what he thinks? Like, there ain't nothing that tells me that they think we all the same. Whoever they may be, whoever they is that think we all the same. If you think that you ask Cameron what he thinks, and that's as good as you can do, I can only assume that you think that we all the same and your expectations are not very high. I think that that's a fair assumption. Do you think that's a fair assumption? Because I think that's a fair assumption. By the way, this whole thing started with somebody asking whether Bill O'Reilly would have a job in the West Wing by Memorial Day. Uh, if, if there's anything that we've learned from this Fox News thing, like they may have ultimately fired him, so I understand why you think that this might be counterintuitive after I say it. However, hey, Bill O'Reilly ain't working for nobody. Like, clearly, he worked at Fox, but he clearly didn't work for Fox. Bill O'Reilly ain't about to be going, taking no job where he got no damn boss. What are you, crazy? Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Did you bite on there's a second Kendrick album hype train? No, I did not. I did not believe that there was a second Kendrick album. And the reason I didn't think there was a second Kendrick album was because the argument was that he put the album out on Good Friday and that he's really religious. And so he was going to put out another album that was going to signify the resurrection. Stop right there. He's really religious. Therefore, he's going to act like he's Jesus. Like, is that, I mean, is that not what is being said? Like, go ahead and run that logic through. Since he's really religious, he's going to have his albums mimic the rise of the Messiah. I feel like that's the kind of thing that would make religious people upset. And I am not a religious person, so I may be wrong. Anyway, here goes this guy. Where would you rank Kendrick's new album to his other albums, to which I would say the damn thing came out five days ago? It came out 
five days ago. I am a firm believer in letting an album live and breathe, right? And as you guys, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I will do this again. I will let you know. I have absolutely evolved to a place where I like to let y'all listen to an album, and then I come back later, and then I tell you what I think. So the Kendrick album, I listened once, right? I gave it one run all the way to work, and it bangs. I like it. Uh, my first thought on it is that it's far more digestible than the Pimple Butterfly. And I know a lot of you guys really love the Pimple Butterfly, and the Pimple Butterfly has a lot of dope shit on it. But, man, it just takes too much work. I just can't make myself do that. Like, Good Kid, Mad City, I'm here for, right? I'm like Section 80, but like Good Kid, Mad City, I am really, 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 really here for I like Damn a lot the first run through. First of all, it hits hard, right? Like, I don't – and I, it's been a long time since I listened to Section 80, to be honest. Like, I can't speak from a place of familiarity on that one like I can with the other ones. But uh, between Good Kid, Bad City, To Pimp a Butterfly, and Damn, Damn hits the hardest by far, right? Like – damn is not an album that you got to think about to appreciate and enjoy that was my thing about the pimple butterfly you had to think about it so damn much to be able to rock with it so even good kid mad city which had its ambitions and like all the 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 interludes and stuff in there you could still enjoy it without trying to follow this extended operatic story or whatever like it was good enough on his face that you could rock with it that's how I feel about this one. I did not think to Pimp a Butterfly was one that you could really dig unless you got all the way into it. I could rock with this joint just from hearing it one time and just riding with it, right? And I think that that is an important category in how you make your rap music. Like, can I ride to this? Or do I have to be out here paying so much attention I'm going to get into a one-car accident? It is something to be said for an album that you could just ride with. And this joint you could ride with, and it knocked, and he's bringing it. And so the thing with me on Kendrick Lamar is I think Kendrick Lamar is a very talented rapper. I think Kendrick Lamar is a great writer. Um, I enjoy listening to Kendrick Lamar's music by and large. However, Kendrick Lamar is really not my kind of rapper in one very significant way. His voice just does not jump out the speakers. Like, say what you want about Drake, but Drake's voice hits the track hard, hard. And, like, Kendrick sells it on this passion. Like, you can feel the passion and sincerity, but he ain't got a voice that just hits the track. Like, the thing about Andre 3000, like, people get into the Andre 3000 big boy, Andre 3000 big boy, they go one side or the other. The thing about Andre is Andre might have the single greatest voice in the history of rap music because once he's on it, it's like he can – he's dictating where the beat goes, right? Like, it doesn't sound like he's going to the beat. It sounds like the beat is coming to him. Like, his voice is so cold that it's got, like, a magnetic field around it, like a vacuum that just forces everything to go around it, right? Like, he lays on top of the beat in a way that very few people do. Like, big boy, like, he gets into the beat. You know what I mean? Like, he gets inside of it because part of it. Andre is like when you got, like, a bass player who just runs the band. And, like, everybody's doing what they're doing, but all of a sudden, like, now your job is just to keep rhythm. You know, like, that's just the kind of, that's what he's got. Kendrick is not that type, and I tend to like my rappers to have a voice like that, like the the born to rap thing. 
I think Kendrick Lamar was born to write. I do not believe Kendrick Lamar was born to rap. You know, um, Killer Mike is a born to rap. He's that type. Right? I don't think Kendrick Lamar is, but I think Kendrick Lamar makes very, very, very good music. Like, I don't feel like he got to apologize for it or anything like that. Like, I'm... I think it could be very easy because I think that the like Kendrick Lamar gets a universal level of love now, like across, I don't want to say across genres because the music get put into genres, people who are into all kinds of different shit and everything else. Like I think that Kendrick Lamar is probably the most broadly appreciated artist of his day. He also does this in such a way where we don't really know that much about him. Like he's not Beyonce in terms of managing his business and everything like that. But we don't know what's going on with him. He's laying back in the cut. This is like purely on the force of artistry and the right cosines. Like that's what this is. And the strength of it is really good music. Like I talk about this with uh, Rick Ross. Like Rick Ross only has one gimmick. Rick Ross makes really good music. Kendrick Lamar, his only gimmick really is he makes really, really, really good music. Um, but yeah, I think this one knocks hard, 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 hard. Also, I see this question here and I don't like, I'm not in a position to fully answer this, but my man says, is there any better producer right now than Mike will made it? Like I looked at those kids with Lamar credits and I was like, okay, yeah, Mike will made it is on it right now. And the thing about Mike will made it like, you know, Kanye talked about this. how he never been able to make his drums knock. And he wanted them Mike Will Made It drums. And so in order to get them Mike Will Made It drums, he went and got Mike Will Made It. And it was like, all right, cool. Come on. You, you the one that's got it? Go ahead and do that. Boom. So, like, you got the different kind of the music that you think about Mike Will Made It doing. Mike Will Made It did humble. Right. So, like, Mike Will Made It is out here doing all this, like, Ray Shriver stuff and everything else. Man, Mike Will Made It got beats that. Knock, 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 knock. <laughs> right? And I got to say, there's all kinds of things that you can say about something. Being able to say, my beats knock. Like, whatever you think about me, my beats knock. Oh, and by the way, I did formation. Yeah, because Mike Will made it, did formation. And Mike Will made it, got the break shrimp kids on there. So Mike Will made it is like letting them eat off this Beyonce buddy. They all go eat so good for the rest of for the rest of their lives. They'll be eating off that formation. They will. So yeah, I don't know if Mike Will made it is the greatest producer in the world right now. I know that Mike Will made it makes some great shit. Mike Will made it did DNA and humble. Like think about this for us and and the U two joint, right? Although I don't know if he produced the actual U two part, but. Think about this for a second. If you had not heard of Mike Will Made It before now, so like Kanye was out there, but nobody really heard of Kanye as a producer until the Blueprint, right? And so you know what Blueprint did for him and Just Blaze, right? Just those handful, that handful of beats. And it's like, okay, these dudes are in the house now. So you imagine that you had never heard of Mike Will Made It. And then you go look at these credits, and Mike Will Made It did DNA, Humble, and Triple X. Right, right. And in a lot of ways, these tracks are almost like new Mike Will made his stuff. Because this is not, at least for me, this is not what I associate with Mike Will made. 
Wow, that might well made it think actually turned into an answer. I should have put it up on the screen. Predict question. Let me see what we got here. What do you think of the Kendrick Lamar comparisons to Curtis Mayfield? I had actually not heard Kendrick Lamar comparisons to Curtis Mayfield, but I do think the idea of comparing Kendrick Lamar to Curtis Mayfield is fairly interesting. Now, like I'm trying not to be a dick about this, and like what I mean by that is, A, I'm a big Curtis Mayfield fan, and none of these comparisons are ever going to be perfect. So like I don't want to be too anal about it. I think that people kind of look at this as like a – they're both like ear to the street sort of cats, like with a particular edge to the music. Cause that's the thing about Curtis Mayfield is that Curtis Mayfield music has some edge to it. Right. I would also argue though, that Curtis Mayfield's music is a little bit more gangster than Kendrick Lamar's is like Kendrick Lamar has, at least from what I could tell a lot less first person discussion to be in the gangster than Curtis Mayfield has. Right. So like you go to this, uh, no place like America today, like Billy Jack, like Billy Jack is absolutely from the perspective of the gangster. Superfly album is absolutely from the perspective of the gangster. Uh, we can go to some other ones there. Like I think there's a similar. I think they're looking at similar worlds, and of course, like there's something particular to the hip hop aesthetic that you're never going to get from Curtis Mayfield. One thing about Curtis Mayfield, though, is Curtis Mayfield at least has music that's kind of fun, right? You know, music that makes you feel good. Like that uh, guy got us that we going to be all right. Like it kind of makes you feel good, but not really, right? It's like, yo, everything around us really sucks. But you know, I feel like Curtis Mayfield music is just a little bit more inspiring, right? It, it makes you want to get out there a little bit more. I don't find that uh, Kendrick Lamar is the dude that you go to for inspiration. I think you go to him for these observations, and that's cool. But I think that Curtis is coming with a different scope in that way. Right. Also, I think that Curtis made music that sonically was layered and textured and everything else. But in terms of message was very, very lean and lean in a good way. Right. It's kind of straight to the point. I find that Kendrick kind of takes a long way a little bit more. I tend to like my music to be a little more straight to the point. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Is Kendrick the millennials Nas? All right. So. This is interesting. Uh, one thing I would like to note is that Kendrick Lamar is bigger now than Nas ever was. And that's not a knock on Nas necessarily. Nas made a decision about what direction he kind of wanted his career to go to. He made some missteps along the way. But Kendrick Lamar is bigger now than Nas ever was. There's a lot of retroactive love for Nas because people are aware that Illmatic is an album that they are supposed to love. And then Lupe Fiasco said that It Was Written was like his favorite joint, and there was this revisiting of It Was Written that convinced people to... I'm sorry, I didn't like It Was Written that much before, and I went back and I didn't feel like I'd done anything wrong. Right? Like, I don't, I don't think I did. So what Nas effectively was is something that I think it's impossible now for Kendrick Lamar to be, which is... Nas was the ultimate, like, for us by a superstar. Nas was a rapper for people who love rap music. He is just, and and also, to be clear, this is where it gets fun. Okay, that was convoluted, but here's what I'm going to say. Kendrick Lamar makes better music than Nas does. 
Like I said, there's a level of consistency that Kendrick Lamar has demonstrated to show me that he makes better music than Nas does. However, when it comes to rapping, Nas can't hold Kendrick Lamar's jockstrap. Excuse me, Kendrick Lamar can't hold Nas jockstrap. Woo, woo, Nas stance, calm down, calm down. Nas, greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than Kendrick Lamar as rapper. And I mean that, and I mean that because there are so few rappers who are as good as Nas. Not like just, I mean, and look, I got all the Nas jokes, and I don't always love Nas music, right? But man, Nas can rap. Like, and, and, and we ain't talking about Nas can rap a little bit, right? Or every now and then, Nas gonna bring it. Nas can rap, right? Nas is such a good writer. Nas economizes words as well as anybody. And I don't think anybody has ever, as young, like 16-year-old Nas, like 18-year-old Nas, I don't know if any 16 or 18-year-olds were as good at rapping as Nas was, right? But as my man here says, he has no clue what he's talking about sometimes. And that is correct. That is correct. Um, Kendrick Lamar, I think, is a little better at achieving his ambitions. Right? Like, I think he's able to conceive of some fairly grand concepts, and he's able to execute and has, like, been around people that make it possible for him to execute. Like, I was talking to somebody one time about Kendrick Lamar, and they're like, yo, you got to remember, man, he spent, like, two years just working with Drake. Right? You know, like not everybody has that luxury, certainly, but he has demonstrated that he can take some pretty ambitious ideas and he can put them on the road, right? And he can make them happen. Nas never demonstrated that, right? So like good kid, Mad City, I mean, my dude's got Dr. Dre as an executive producer. I mean, it helps. It helps. That's no shade to him, but it helps. Pippa Butterfly, Dr. Dre around that too. With top, I mean, all these cats. But you go look at who's doing the beats, and there's a lot of cats that you don't really you ain't necessarily know. Hey, man, dude makes really good music and is surrounded by really good people and seems to listen to them. But when it comes to rapping, they ain't a lot of Nazis. There just aren't a lot of Nazis. So I do not believe that Kendrick Lamar is this generation's Nas. Now, where I do think he is becoming Nas to a degree is that his devotees ain't really trying to have no dissent, right? Like his devotees ain't trying to hear nothing other than the greatness of Kendrick Lamar. But the difference is the Nas devotees are far more defensive because Nas has given us a whole lot of things that we could joke, right? Kendrick hasn't really given us anything to joke on him about. Nas gave us plenty to joke on him about, plenty. And we told those jokes, and we still tell those jokes. And that makes the Nas stand even more defensive. Nobody's ready. Like, people told me the J. Cole hive is the worst. Incorrect. It's the Nas, the dude. I'm telling you, man, the Nas people have been at it for longer, and Nas fighting people 
from every angle. Not they fighting the underground dudes, they fighting the Jay Z dudes, they fighting everybody, man, everybody, and they always ready. And the thing is, they start off being like, "Nah, we gonna let no." They start off saying they gonna let it slide. Now nah, we gonna let it slide. We gonna let, and then they can't, and then they can't, because they've been fighting for so long. Oh, they've been fighting for so long. So, yeah. One more time. Kendrick, better music. Nas, better rapper. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Who has the best album that was released after their death? Wow, what a strange question. Uh, I guess posthumous is the word that we're looking for here. I don't really have a great answer for this one. Um, like, I don't love Machiavelli. I don't love life after death. Like, can I cheat and say ACDC back in black? Because it's after Bon Scott died, but he's not on back in black. So I suppose that one doesn't really hold up. Huh. Let me see. Uh, the UGK double album is really good. Like, no, nah, I don't really have an answer here. Y'all, y'all got to understand that these, like, random lists that you come up with and then ask the question for, like, what do you want me to do? Hold on, give me a second. Let me run through the entire catalog of my mind. A, and try to pull this very obscure subset of a subset and then try to order them. Like, on one hand, I suppose I'm honored that y'all believe um, that I can come up with this stuff. On the other hand, can you give your boy a fighting chance? All right, what are your expectations for Nas' 2017 album since he announced? Wow, this guy is really, okay. Or do you think he will not drop an album this year? I ain't gave no damn thought to whether or not Nas is going to drop no album. Like, if Nas does drop an album, I will be inclined to check it out. But, like, I'm not looking for it on the front end. Um, and that's not a knock on Nas. You just kind of get to that point. I will say this, though. Uh, that last Nas album, uh, the one is that the one with the wedding dress the last time we got a Nas album? I mean... I don't agree with everything that he was doing on there. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole on the cover with the wedding dress and the last verse. Oh, I don't think he represented himself as well as he possibly could have. Um, As life is good. That's what it's called. I don't think he did, but the album itself was banging. Like when he said something out there about, you know, the trapped in the nineties, yo, that's the lane for him, right? Like, there's no reason to get Nas out here on too many of these young boy beats. No, I don't want to hear Nas on... No, I don't want that. So if Nas stays in that lane of, like, look, man, it's kind of a, this is my steez. It doesn't have to sound like a 90s album necessarily, but make an album with 90s sensibilities. Like, Al Green did an album with Questlove and a couple other people in uh, 2008. Right, it's called Lay It Down. It's really, really good. And it's totally an Al Green album. Right? Like it just sounds absolutely like an Al Green album. It sounds like a nineteen seventy-five Al Green album. It's just done in two thousand eight, and that's cool. I'm good with Al Green doing that. Like I don't need Al Green to try to reinvent the wheel. That's kind of where I am with a cat like Nas right now. Right? Like, no, nah, I don't need anything new from you. And look, he did all the experimenting and trying and everything else. Now 
just be a great rapper, right? Get beats that allow you to be a great rapper and just be a great rapper. And I guess we all, or not all, but a lot of us had this feeling about Nas and Nas has a poor ear for beats. And there certainly is an argument that Nas has a poor ear for beats because Nas has been over so many whack beats. But Nas also did Illmatic. And Illmatic has all the beats. All the beats. Right? Like, it's hard to say that the dude who's rapping on Illmatic has a bad ear for beats. Except it's all them albums after Illmatic. And there is an, a level of evidence to indicate a poor ear for beats. And it's got to be torture, right? Like, Nas did the track with Rick Ross, Accident, Mur- Accident Murderer Joint. And, you know, it's cool to be on there and everything else. But do you realize what Nas would be if Nas had Rick Ross here for beats? Because you know what Rick Ross would be if he had Nas here for beats? Not rapping. That's what. He would not be rapping. I recommend you get you a good ear for beats. It'll keep you around longer than being a good rapper. Appreciate the question. I think we're good here. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this every Wednesday, but I ain't perfect. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't watch us live, subscribe at the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. Thank you, guys. Talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.